Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, in a change to what we'd planned to be talking about, we are, of course, going to discuss smart motorways. Passenger feedback or driver feedback on its own is not going to be a reliable measure of how good an idea this is, because they'll go, oh, there was a car broken down on the lane, and no, 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 okay, right, okay, that's noticeable. The fact that the last 17 times you drove between Junction 5 and Junction 6 of the M25, there wasn't a traffic jam at Clackett Lane, nobody's going to talk about that because nobody notices non-events. Adrian Tatum and I will mull over the decision to abandon any new smart motorways on the network, talk about why it's happened, and then look at what the implications are for our industry on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations, the Transport Technology Forum, ITS UK, LCRIG, and Adept. So obviously Rishi Sunak's decision to abandon smart motorway building is the main story on Highways News this week, but there are other things that are on the site as well. So as always, let's catch up with Adrian Tatum with a few thoughts on some of the stories that have caught his eye. More footage of collisions between trams and vehicles has been released as part of ongoing efforts to ensure drivers remain tram aware when driving near the Metrolink in Manchester. In February, Transport for Greater Manchester issued a short video showing cars and heavy goods vehicles colliding with trams across the Metrolink network. The latest video again shows drivers pulling ahead of oncoming trains before the tram driver can react, resulting in damage to both vehicles. Between April and December 2022, there were 91 car collisions with trams, with most incidents called by driver error on the motorist side. And a type of congestion charge is being considered in Wales to help tackle traffic levels as concern grows over pollution levels. Cardiff Council said the public transport improvements, such as a £1 bus fare on key routes, need to be in place before introduction of any payment, reports the BBC. There are no details related to the cost or area in which the charge might apply yet. If given the go-ahead, the scheme could take up to five years to implement, the council said in a statement this week. Councillors will consider a report into the proposal on the 27th of April, and if they agree to move ahead with the plans, they will look at different schemes, including road user payments, congestion zones, clean air zones and workplace parking charges, according to the BBC report. And a major consultation to help shape the way people move around to and from Edinburgh started this week. An integrated suite of action plans designed to transform transport in Edinburgh was approved for consultation by councillors during December and February. Together, the active travel, public transport, parking, road safety and air quality action plans aim to create cleaner, greener, safer, more accessible and affordable travel choices around the city. While cutting congestion, reinforcing the capital's net zero 2030 goals and boosting the economy. But of course, the main story is the abandonment of smart motorways. So I did promise you the Smart Mobility Living Lab this week. We'll put that back for a week or two so that we can uh, talk about smart motorways this week and we'll chat about them next. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. 
It's the email the industry waits for every lunchtime, our highways news midday briefing, and you can get it too if you don't already, simply by going to highways-news.com slash subscribe. On our site, you'll also find links to our Twitter and LinkedIn feeds, so you'll always be up to date, because we are the only place you need to go for everything you need to know we are Highways News. Swaco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software as a service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, find out how Swaco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swaco, the better way every day. So Adrian Tatum and I will be talking today on Highways Voices about the decision to end any building of any new smart motorways. Uh, we talked to a few experts and wanted to get them onto the podcast, but uh, Generally, people are keen to talk to us off the record, but not necessarily on the record. So I thought the best thing for you so we could start to look at the implications of uh, the abandonment of the Smart Motorway programme is to get uh, Adrian and myself together talking about what we feel about it and what we've uh, heard from experts we've been speaking to. And Adrian, I think um, it's fair to say uh, there's sort of widespread disappointment but nobody's that surprised by the announcement that was made over the weekend no i think um it was going to be inevitable wasn't it simply because of the fact that rishi sunak promised to scrap smart motorways as part of his campaigning but i think in general it was also inevitable because of the criticism that they they attracted yeah, let's go back to the very beginning. The idea of smart motorways actually started off with um, adaptive uh, speed uh, enforcement. So the, the bit round by the by Heathrow on the M25 uh, changed speed limits based on the amount of traffic. The idea is that if you actually go slightly slower, it's counterintuitive. But if everybody goes at 50 miles an hour, you will get through a section of road quicker when it gets to a certain level of busyness than if you're going at 70 miles an hour and then you're braking and then you're down to five miles an hour and then back up again and you get these shockwave jams. Then they introduced a dynamic hard shoulder running on the M42 and that meant that when it was particularly busy, you could open up the extra lane to give you that extra capacity and keep the traffic moving. And then there was a decision to introduce all lane running at all times, which means that uh, even at three o'clock in the morning, when uh, there's very little traffic on the road, all lanes are open. And to me, I guess that's where things maybe went a little bit awry, because that was when we started to almost solve a problem that didn't exist. Giving extra capacity on a motorway when you didn't really need it, yet if you break down at three o'clock in the morning, and there's nowhere to go. You end up stopping on a on a main running lane, and that's when potentially the tired lorry driver is driving along, doesn't see you till too late, and then you get the really bad accidents that you wouldn't get if you broke down at eight o'clock in the morning on the M42 and all the lanes are open because uh, the traffic is already going slow enough that uh, it's going to be ready to stop. You know, going back to the beginning, the, the actual concept of a smart motorway and what it aimed to achieve was very valid. 
Um, it was really the only way of trying to manage congestion on the motorway network, which is very different from managing congestion on an A and B road. <clears throat> so the concept itself was always good. But when you get into the fact of somebody breaking down on all a running motorway, that's where you start to get the issue. The issue arises from the fact that originally when these trials were conducted, I think as long as ago, I think the M42 was 2006. The idea was to have refuge areas every 500 metres, uh, which of course would have been absolutely fine because if you do break down while all lane running is in force, then you can easily drive to a refuge area, pull over, make that emergency call, and you'll be a significantly away from the from the live traffic. Whereas, of course, when it happens now, that's when confusion comes in in terms of what the driver should or should not be doing. Moving over to the left is fine, but you're still incredibly close to that live traffic. And of course, what's happened over time due to cost and other factors, such as having the land available by the various different parts of the motorway, is that those refuge areas weren't possible. So the original concept would have perhaps been a lot sounder than what we ended up with. And, and that's been been part of the challenge. And the other issue that surprised me, because actually, you know, there have been times when I've been wheeled out on the radio and television to give opinions on smart motorways. I had one, uh, if you search Paul Hutton, Vanessa Feltz on Highways News, you will enjoy the uh, particularly joyous conversation I had with her on Radio 2 once. But I one time was corrected after I'd spoken about the fact that I'd happily talked about stopped vehicle detection being on all smart motorways. And only afterwards was it sort of admitted to me that it wasn't on all smart motorways and that they'd actually built smart motorways without all the supporting technology they could have had, which again was something I think in hindsight, everyone must agree was not a good idea. No, but part of the problem is as well, in this country, each motorway in this country is very different. So some is very rural, going through rural areas, some's going um, uh, uh, via or over cities and towns. We haven't got great lengths of straight motorway network like you might find in Germany on the Autobahn or in France. So no, no piece of motorway is consistent. Therefore, we're never going to get that consistency with smart motorway. So not only is there not enough land available to have those refuge areas, and, and that's a cost factor as we described, but also each, pe each piece of the motorway network is very different in different areas. So trying to get that consistency with smart motorways deployed and delivered in the right way in those different areas is, is equally very difficult and when you get consistency that's when errors start to to creep in and, and like you said some of the technology was used in a certain way on one part of the smart motorway if you go to another smart motorway it's slightly different and that all that does is just add to the confusion and when it comes to communication i guess we've got two sides of this where we could look at and go could have done better First of all, is just the education to drivers. Um, we talk about the three E's of engineering, enforcement and education. Um, we didn't have enforcement for quite a long time on the old red X's and very little education until pretty much the go left campaign in the last couple of years. Um, we really didn't extol the, the benefits of it and the fact that we were inexpensively improving 
the uh, the motorway network, uh, allowing extra capacity in a way that should have been safe if we had explained to people what to do when they when they faced a problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't think to this day there's many people that understand what the Red X means. And, you know, you're talking several, you know, several years now of, of smart motorways and people still don't understand how to drive on them and are confused by them when an in- incident does happen. And and the failing there is definitely on National Highway's behalf as, as to not educate people properly how to drive on them before they actually switch the first one on. That would have been the most sensible decision. The Keep Left campaign, in my mind, was all too little, too late. And even when they did deliver it, it, it in my mind, was still confusing. So they've never really understood communications around it. I don't think they've ever understood how to do it. And it was all too late. I think if they'd spent a couple of years while they were trialling up motorways to educate the public what was coming up, how to do it. And, of course, there's an argument to say that it should be in the driving test or it should be part of the theory test at least to get people to understand the, the very basics of it before they actually get onto it. So there's an argument there that, that the communications hasn't been joined up. It's not been good enough. It's not been clear enough. And it's all been too late, I'm afraid. And to underline that point, I have lost count how many times I've started a radio interview when I've been the interviewee rather than the interviewer and had the first question being, what is a smart motorway? It was something that year after year we had to explain from the very beginning. The other issue was that I often appeared on radio and TV to talk about smart motorways because they really didn't have anyone else to talk to. I'm pretty certain I wasn't number one on their list of uh, of potential experts to come on and talk about it. But but the actual industry did a really poor job of explaining it. I'll come to some stats in a minute, but I remember there was one major event I was at where I was chatting to somebody very senior in National Highways who's not there anymore, but told me off the record, oh, well, there was one incident I could tell you about where somebody drove past two refuge areas and then an actual junction with a warning light on their dashboard, carried on driving on the motorway, did finally conk out and then were involved in a crash. And he said, you know, nobody knows that they should, you know, about that. They just think it was our fault that he was involved in a collision. And I'm thinking, well, we're not telling anybody this. We're not making the point that if you get a warning light on your vehicle, you've usually got time to get to a refuge area you've usually got time to get off the motorway no one seemed to be actually ready to stand up and and defend no, I think, the whole concept i think the problem there paul is national highways do a very good job in in a lot of different ways of maintaining and improving our motorway network and a lot of that story gets uh, untold uh, I, i'm afraid so there's lots of positives to talk about them, but the one negative is that when things go wrong on the motorway network, instead of coming out and talking about them, they say nothing. It doesn't help their reputation. It actually puts their reputation in tatters eventually, because why wouldn't it have been sensible to come out and say, actually, you know, we've got this bit wrong, but we're working on this bit. We're improving this bit. And 
for all those public out there that don't know how to drive on a smart motorway, here's our advice. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you do if you break down. This is what you do if you see someone else break down. This is what happens is when a red X and, and unfortunately, because they've said nothing over time, these problems have just manifested themselves. You're right. And I, I'll remember the uh, conversation we had with Rory Sutherland uh, a few weeks ago here on Highways Voices, and he actually touched on smart motorways and the perception of them. And I thought it was a really interesting point that he made. Let's just listen back to that. I don't think they did a good job of explaining them to people or, or, or explaining the benefits, because there's always going to be a problem with smart motorways, because when they cause a problem that's salient, when they solve a problem, it's invisible. Nobody talks about the traffic jam they didn't experience because the motorway had been inexpensively widened. So, so passenger feedback or driver feedback on its own is not going to be a reliable measure of how good an idea this is because they'll go oh there was a car broken down on the lane and no, 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 no. okay right okay that's noticeable the fact that the last 17 times you drove between junction 5 and junction 6 of the m25 there wasn't a traffic jam at clackett lane nobody's going to talk about that because nobody notices non-events so rory there saying you kind of can't prove a negative you can't you know, nobody notices when the traffic is flowing normally. But again, what we, you know, pick up here, I did some some looking and there's the uh, smart motorway stock take from National Highways, the second year progress report 2022. Now, if you actually go buried on page 48 out of 116, there was a table that shows the difference between different types of motorway and a road and the number of killed and seriously injured or what they also call the fatal and weighted injuries and they've also got personal injury uh, collisions all of these per 100 million vehicle miles and if you actually look at it let's just look at killed and seriously injured conventional motorways 1.45 incidents per 100 million vehicle miles all lane running motorways 1.38 so lower and dynamic hard shoulder so like the m42 down at 1.17 the m42 style dynamic hard shoulder is the safest of all stretches of motorways statistically yet Who's going to read page 48 of a 116 page document to actually realise that? But there was no real underlining of that, no real publicity of it. Nobody really wanted to actually point out that traditional motorways, although they are far safer than A roads, where the numbers are up at 3.66, traditional motorways and specifically hard shoulders themselves are not safe places themselves you know hard shoulders aren't yet somehow out of all this we've i think wrongly given the impression that if you're on a traditional hard shoulder you're going to be safe and the truth isn't that that's the case as you said we've made that point in interviews before to be fair to national highways they've made that point as well but i think that that's all come too late again i think if they talked more about the safety of them in the beginning then i don't think they would have received the criticism that they had. And of course, any life lost on the motorway is a, a concern. 
and and things should have been done earlier to address that. But I still believe that it goes back to the confidence. I mean, Rishi Sunak actually talks about that in his statement. You know, all drivers deserve to have confidence in the road they use to get around the country. And I think he's absolutely right. I don't think smart motorways do make people confident. And of course, if you're not confident, mistakes will happen and lives will be lost. And, you know, that it's all about joined up working with with the trials and the plans and the implementation and, and the comms. And somewhere along the line, a lot of that's got lost. And that's that's how we've ended up where we are, I'm afraid. Yeah, and Pacts actually said in their reaction that smart motorways have been controversial since their initiation. This has eroded public confidence in them. However, this also means that the benefits which could be gained from them have been lost. Motorways, while not safe enough for our safest roads, other parts of, of the strategic road network have much higher casualty rates per mile travelled. So Pax has noticed that and talks about throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. There's another implication, of course, which is that uh, all the suppliers and the contractors that were, were down to get the work to build new smart motorways, all that now appears to have been lost. What does that mean for the industry? Well, as you know, um, the Smart Motorway Alliance is consists of several supplies in the industry, all the way from tier one contractors down to SMEs that are supporting these projects in different ways. And, and of course, they, they've gone along up until very recently, believing that there will be a pipeline of work for several years uh, worth, I think, about another billion pounds or so to build the new ones that are planned to be built. And of course, that's been taken away from them all of a sudden. And whether rightly or wrongly, the overall decision in the end they they of course have lost that pipeline in their work people's jobs could be lost as a result i mean we don't know that for certain but that's going to be inevitable if you if you've got a huge pipeline of work that no, you know you've planned for and is no longer there so it, you know it has other implications on the industry like you say it's not just about wasting loads of money on smart motorways that will no longer go ahead you know, it's about the future and, th- and that future is no longer going to be there for the supply chain. And the other implication is is what it means for technology in transport and the reputation. I mean, I've got one friend who is just so upset today about the decision to axe all new smart motorways and wonders what their role has been and what the point has been of a of a lifetime working in intelligent transport systems. But people's perception as reality as we talked about it. And my concern is that other things happen, like for example, you get a single crash of uh, a driverless vehicle and People will then think, oh, driverless vehicles are unsafe. Even if it's just a minor shunt, it makes the headlines. What can we do to make sure that in the future we don't end up with other things that we're producing that do make the roads safer, but we end up with the perception that they're not and they get thrown out as well? It's going back to good comms again, Paul, good, good communication. And, te- you know, one of these things the industry is really bad at is not telling people what it does well. And and that's been the case for 14 years that I've been in the industry, and, and it's still the case now. And, you know, the point you say about the reputation of ITS technology, well, of course, as you know, ITS technology is playing a really positive role in many different aspects of our everyday life in terms of highways and transport. So that's the first thing to say. 
and I think it will do for for a long, long time. And and what we do have in this industry is innov- innovators and people that can really make sure that we're delivering an efficient and effective service in in highways and transport. But unless we tell people about that technology and the benefits that it's bringing, when it does come to things like this, people only see it in a bad light. So I think you know through all of this, the industry needs to talk about the technology behind it and the implementation of the implementation of the technology did not work well on smart motorways but the technology itself was sound and you know it was there for a reason it was just the way perhaps it was deployed and and maintained and it it didn't fit the concept which we you know agreed i think the concept was sound but it didn't fit the concept in in the long run and therefore everything that's involved with smart motorways whether it's communications whether it's national highways, whether it's the supply chain, the technology itself gets a bad reputation. And of course, in many respects, that's that's very unfair because um, a lot of those things do, do a very good job and, and are used to, you know, to future proof um, the future for highways and transport, to enable it to, to, to move forward, to be effective, to be efficient, um, you know, to improve air quality, to improve congestion. And, um, you know, improve the way that we we move around our cities and towns. Adrian, we could talk about this for a lot longer. We've, I hope, managed to quote some people without actually identifying them, which is the the key thing we wanted to set out here. We will tip our hat to somebody who's done something incredible in our industry in a moment because it's time for your accolade. But first of all, before we do that and wrap up today's Highways Voices, let's check the partner news. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, Elkrig, Adept, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. Staying with the Smart Motorways theme, ITS UK CEO Matt Sugarman has come out in defence of the schemes, pointing out that it's important to note these roads are some of the safest in the UK and perform better overall than conventional motorways in terms of serious and fatal injuries. In a statement, he said National Highways is already working with industry in rolling out safety improvements and to increase public awareness of what to do if you break down on a smart motorway, both of which are essential in making smart motorways even safer. He adds that it's important the industry now works together with government to continue rolling out technical solutions to support greater safety and that we learn lessons on how we communicate these projects to the public more effectively, ensuring there is sufficient visibility, acceptance and trust in the application of data and technology to improve road safety moving forwards. More than 200 delegates, including representatives from more than 60 local councils and combined authorities, will be in Leeds next week for the 2023 Transport Technology Forum annual conference to discuss a range of ways technology can help them solve their road transport challenges. The event is sponsored by Highways and Transport Solutions Provider Clearview Intelligence, which is one of a number of private sector supporters of the event, whose financial contribution makes it possible to fully fund places for local authority representatives. A total of 24 companies are exhibiting and while the exhibition space is sold out there are still a very few table sponsorships available which offer a chance to host a branded table at the conference dinner and access to all the networking events. Unex Traffic is the evening network event sponsor. Our friends at Adept tell us another output report has been published from the Live Labs 1 programme providing an overview of 
of project and outcomes. As part of the Live Labs remit, each project was asked to share findings and knowledge with the wider highways sector. The Testing New Innovative Ideas to Help Decarbonise the Highway project was set up by Central Bedfordshire Council and piloted three renewable energy projects. The £1.05 million project trialled the use of thermal, solar and kinetic energy. It allowed the project to test new innovative technology and evaluate how this could be scaled and used more widely to help reduce the carbon impact on the highways network. And Elkrig will launch a new initiative to look at how far the highways sector has come in embedding social value and where the challenges still lie. The series, which is being delivered in association with Colas, will start with an invitation-only virtual roundtable discussion to help scope out the way in which the sector has responded thus far and how collaborative social value delivery can respond to future challenges faced. Councils will talk about their journey and the key findings from this conversation will then be taken forward and presented more widely via a webinar. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. So as promised, back to Adrian for Adrian's accolade. And my accolade this week goes to the team at Transport Technology and Modern Company PTV. Mobility software developer PTV Group has launched a new web-based tool for public transport service planning. PTV Lines allows plans and operators to shape new and existing public transport lines without requiring expert knowledge in complex planning software. The company says PTV Lines enables plans to quickly test different ideas and new measures in the public transport service planning and to implement understanding the efforts of changes of the infrastructure. PTV Lines fits countless user cases from improving timetables, detours, major events and construction works to estimating operational costs of different scenarios. The time when transport planning is more important than ever as we travel differently and at different times. That's why they're worthy winners of my accolade this week. Thanks, Adrian. So, as I say, a change in plan today. We wanted to discuss the implications of the uh, smart motorway decision that hit over the weekend. We will look around the Smart Mobility Living Lab and learn more about that. Uh, I will suggest it will be next week on Highways Voices, but who knows what might happen in the meantime. Um, So I won't promise it, but it is in the can and ready to go uh, very soon for you. And we'll also be looking at the Transport Technology Forum conference in Leeds in a future highways voices as well but for now thanks to adrian and thanks to you for listening and we'll catch you again soon on highways voices highways voices join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry 